there, listeners. Welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm wellness coach, personal trainer, and positive psychology practitioner, Darlene Marshall, and I'm your host. And last week on the show, we had our Better Than Fine annual birthday takeover show. Uh, not better than Fine's birthday, my birthday. And this year we had my big brother, Dan, one peg Marshall, come over and take over the show uh, and turn the mic around. And one of the questions that we got was on ambivalence. Uh, if you listen to that episode, apparently it's everyone's favorite moment of the episode when I say, Dan, can you use ambivalence in a session sentence? And he just says, no. Uh, but so it came up in the episode in one of the submitted questions. The next day, I was teaching a workshop on my actual birthday. And during the workshop, some questions came up. And guess what they were about? They were about ambivalence. And it, and it became this big conversation within the workshop. The workshop was on self-care, uh, about ambivalence, knowing that you need something, but not really doing the stuff to change it. Uh, and then the next day after that, so three times last week, um, two of my clients last Thursday had these big deep dive ambivalence conversations. And generally when I'm thinking about content for the show, even though I plan it out months in advance, if there is a theme that's coming up for people over and over and over in my world, I run on the assumption that is coming up over and over and over out there in the world. And so this week I thought we should probably talk about this. So let's talk about ambivalence. Um, you know that feeling when you say, I'm going to get up tomorrow and exercise. I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to get up tomorrow. I'm going to exercise. And then it's time to go to bed early. And you're like, well, eh, mm, I guess I could still get up. if I, I'm going to stay up and watch this one more episode. And then I can still get up in the morning. And then your alarm goes off in the morning. And you're like, do I really want to get up? And then you start to fight yourself. Or you tell yourself, I'm going to start meditating. And you download the app. And then you think about the app. You might even occasionally open the app, but you don't actually use the app, right? So ambivalence isn't just mixed action and it isn't just about fitness and wellness. Ambivalence is when we have any mixed feelings about anything. So it doesn't just have to be about actions we might take or changes we might make. Uh, it could also be about people, about ideas. I can think of a lot of things going on in the world right now where I know I have some mixed feelings about the things I'm seeing in the news versus the things my clients are saying versus the research I'm reading and how it's affecting all of us. So there's a lot of mixed and contradictory feelings out in the world and we're coming into a time of year that is also loaded with ambivalence. There are lots of people that feel ambivalent about this time of year. You know, it's supposed to be fun. We're supposed to enjoy the holidays. We're supposed to have a good time. But also there's all these stressful things, people that we interact with that we wouldn't necessarily choose to, ideas that we engage with, all the parties and the shopping and the money that we're spending. And, 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 and. It's supposed to be all this magical and jolly, but you're dealing with a lot of stuff that you don't actually want to. So the holidays or can be ambivalent about the new year coming. I know it, it has felt like the last three years that people say for the last few years, like, ah, oh, thank God this year is finally over. I remember people saying it about 2019. Uh, and we didn't know it was coming obviously then. And then, okay, we said it at the end of 2020, we said it at the end of 21, we said it at the end of 22 and here we are at the end of 23. And there's people saying 
like, okay, let's embrace the new year. And we're coming off of all the indulgence from the holidays. And we're supposed to be positive and looking forward to like health and wellness and whatnot, but we're also tired, but it's also winter. So we're cold and we're grumpy, right? Like this is an ambivalent time of year that we're all being pushed the idea of happiness to. And what I have found in my years doing this work with people is ambivalence is often what gets in the way of people's change. And not just that you have ambivalence, because having ambivalence is a totally normal human experience. We all get ambivalent about some things. But it's oftentimes we're not ambivalent about the outcome. We're ambivalent about the changes that are necessary to earn the outcome. And we think that the way to deal with ambivalence is to just try to get rid of it, right? I'm just going to power through. I'm going to talk myself out of it. And then I won't be ambivalent anymore. Yahtzee. Um, but in actuality, powering through it isn't a very effective strategy for ambivalence. What actually happens when you try to like, I'm just going to strong arm this right on through is that you end up not as committed to whatever course of action you are taking. And because you're not as committed, you're not as consistent and therefore you're not as effective. And then the ambivalence perpetuates itself. So powering through ain't it. And when we look at ambivalence, when I think about my clients and the, the decades that I've been helping people work through this, I think of the research that was done by Barry Schwartz, who is the discoverer of choice fallacy. Uh, and we've talked about choice fallacy on the show before. Choice fallacy is when we believe that having lots of different options is going to make us happier. But actually in the research, we can see that it makes us way less happy to have lots of different options. And that probably sounds like counterintuitive to you. So let me unpack it a little bit. When we have lots of different options, it means that we have more points of comparison for the thing that we could do. So let's say that I'm shopping and this is actually where the original research was done with jelly, <laughs> with different flavors of jelly. And what they found with that, somebody who had, let's say you've got 30 potential flavors of jelly. And then you measure after, and it's a menial choice. Like that's not a big choice, right? Like what flavor of jelly am I going to buy? And you could try as many as you wanted. And then afterward, you'd rank how satisfied you were. You'd think the people who had 30 options for jelly would be more happy because they could get their favorite kind of jelly, even if it's something obscure. But in actuality, the people had fewer, let's say five choices, were happier with their option. Huh? Why? Well, the people with more options have more point of comparison. They could say, well, I got the strawberry because that makes me nostalgic, but I really wish I got the rhubarb because my partner really likes rhubarb and I feel like I'm not a good person if I don't prioritize them or whatever, whatever the story that you made in your mind. And to me, part of why people are struggling with ambivalence at all, and particularly right now, ties to how much choice we have, how much more agency, how many more options we had than say even a few generations ago, even within my lifetime, I have so many more options to custom tailor my experience of my life than I did when I was 20, than I do at 40, because I could order anything I wanted online and it would just show up at my house. I can go on a dating app and see everything I don't have, right? There's all these new points of comparison. And we have everyone else's choices and options right on our feeds, right? Right in our faces. 
And what that does means that we'll dither about everything that we might be doing. And ultimately we can wind up ambivalent because, well, I have mixed feelings. I want this thing, but I also could look at that thing and think, well, maybe that's better. And we end up questioning ourselves over and over and over again. What we want to do is use the ambivalence to get more intentional about our choices in our life and then use the resistance to make plans that reconcile all of the different parts of yourself that you are bringing to the table that the ambivalence is showing you about yourself. And then because you made an examined choice, you'll be more comfortable even if the ambivalence comes back. And to do that, there's a few handy tools that I'm going to walk you through because certainly, you know, if you listen to this show, I love you to leave the episodes with applied tools. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall, and we are talking about how we work through ambivalence. That thing when I have mixed feelings and I can't really seem to get myself to be comfortable with the things that I want instead of just powering through. And in thinking about this episode, I thought about the most ambivalent I've ever been in my life. I was like, okay, if I'm going to talk about ambivalence, what have I been most ambivalent? And very quickly, I was able to identify it. Um, When I was working for a major luxury gym chain, which will be unnamed, um, I was working in management. I had been promoted very quickly from um, brand new baby trainer, no idea what I was doing, up to top ranked trainer, senior trainer in the company. Then I got pipelined into the management training program, which is supposed to be a six month program. I had three weeks and then I was put directly into a management position. And I thought that meant I was a rock star. Uh, Unfortunately, what it meant was the company was going through an explosive growth cycle and they just needed more managers. And so here I am thinking I am, I am a high achiever. I am doing a good job and I did do a good job at first, but after about a year, I got promoted again to a higher level of management, again with no training. And that's when the problem started. And I ended up burning out really badly. I gave absolutely everything I could to that job for 14 months, trying so hard to make it work. And this is when the ambivalence hit. When finally things fell apart, the wheels came off the cart and it it, it really disintegrated. And we realized I wasn't going to be a manager anymore. I could have taken a break. But I am very stubborn. Um, I have a history of being a high achiever. I wanted to do a good job. And I said, no, 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 I'm going to go right back into continuing to being a trainer. And I went back to the gym that I started at, which is where all my friends worked. And I was really angry. I was burnt out. I was exhausted. And one of the hallmarks of burnout in the research is cynicism. You feel dejected. And I definitely felt that at that time. But what happened was I was powering through the ambivalence. I had such mixed feelings about the company, about myself, about the nature of my work at the time, but I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to deal with it. I just wanted to get back to work. What I really wanted was to be the person I was before the whole experience. And so I thought if I just power through, if I just knuckle down and keep going, I'll be that person again and it won't matter. Uh, And of course, that is not what happened. Like I said, I was 
really powerfully angry and resentful. And it meant that I was bringing that to work every day with me. Um, I'm sure that it showed up in my clients. And I believe very strongly now looking back, thinking about the person I am now and the path of growth that I'm on now in my life, that if given the opportunity again, I would have stepped back, I would have taken a sabbatical and I would have worked on those strong emotions. I also think I probably wouldn't have gotten in that situation again as this person. But we'll talk about in a second, one of the most effective tools for working through ambivalence is this kind of self-reflection that I'm doing right now, where I'm looking at the information of the ambivalence itself and thinking about a future projection and considering who would I want to be to work through it. Um, because knuckling down and pushing through just does not work. And that's because if you've heard me talk about on the show before, emotions are information, feelings are information, ambivalence is information because ambivalence is a set of feelings. So often when I'm working with clients in the very, very beginning, I'll ask them, well, why haven't you achieved whatever their goals are? Why haven't you changed your lifestyle in the way you're describing? Um, and they think that I'm just poking and fishing. So they'll say things like, well, I'm just being lazy. But what I'm actually fishing for is their obstacles. What I'm looking for is their constraints. And so they come back with, I'm just being lazy. And then I share with them, what I'm about to share with you, which is a very strong belief of mine that laziness doesn't exist. Um, it is a term that other people put on us when they feel that we should be doing something and we are not motivated to do that thing, but they are trying to shame us into doing it. And what happens is over our lifespan is we internalize that lens, that idea that if I'm not doing something that I think that I should, that that means I must be lazy. When actually you're in a low motivation state and that can happen for lots of reasons. But if laziness doesn't exist, then there must be some actual real factors that are demotivating you. And examining that lack of motivation, examining the ambivalence, gives us information about what those resources might be. So it might be not having the time, not having the money or another material resource that you might need, not having the energy. You're just exhausted. You can't seem to get your, your vitality up in a way that makes it possible. It could be fear fear of failure, fear of success. It could be frustration, right? And in my case, my ambivalence um, was, was around anger, anger, shame, and resentment. So taking that step back to interview your ambivalence, to ask it questions, to look at what am I actually feeling and why? What is the information? And so um, we mine that ambivalence to figure out what's actually going on. And a moment ago, I said that when I work with clients and I ask them, what haven't you, why haven't you done it yet? Why haven't you achieved your goals yet? We're digging around for these, these resource elements. Now, there's an old study. It's from 2011. Small cohorts so 40 people, they're undergraduate students. And what that study showed was that when we write about our ambivalence and we open up to what are our deeper thoughts and feelings about our ambivalence? It starts to lower the distress relating to ambivalence because we understand it more. And so that's really what I'm saying. These are 15 minute journaling activities where we look at what am I really feeling? When I feel ambivalent, what am I really feeling? And why do I feel that way about this? So we understand it. We interview it to gain that understanding. 
But what do we do from there? Because understanding the ambivalence doesn't actually affect our actions directly, right? We want to interview it first. Once you've interviewed it, you start to feel like you understand it. Now we've got to decide what actions to take. And in doing that, we're going to turn to our own value system. And if you've never thought about your value system before your personal alignment, that's okay. Now is a good time to do it. So let's do it together. Um, what are you about? What are the most important things in your life right now? And what are the things that you want your, for yourself long-term? So when I consider the most important things in my life, when you consider the most important things in your life, how does your ambivalence actually stack up to it? And I'm going to use myself as another example. A lot of times I find that I am ambivalent about working out. And I have joked before in my life that um, you'll never hear another personal trainer say that they dislike exercise as much as I do, right? Like I, I don't ubiquitously think like, oh my God, exercise is the best. Um, I'm often tired. I have deadlines. I'm having joint pain. I would rather go have fun. But uh, as you may have heard me say on previous episodes, I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I have a chronic medical condition that affects my joints. Strength training is my actual literal medicine. Um, because the mechanism of action of my disorder, strength training actually counteracts the thing that I have. And one of my lifelong goals, it's my favorite goal to share with people, I want to be 103 and still dancing at weddings. Because I love weddings and I love to dance. Um, and I have every intention of living over a hundred. So I want to be 103 and dancing at weddings. And if I'm going to do that, having the thing that I have, I have to take really good care of a body that doesn't work the way everyone else's does. And so my ambivalence for exercise, for resistance training, and it's not all the time. I don't always hate it, but I don't want to do it more than you might think. Um, my ambivalence is overcome by that value system by that goal and how much I've chosen to identify myself with that future projection of like the funky old lady dancing at weddings with her big, wild, crazy hair. And so one of the simple ways I prompt a client with this, if this mechanism sounds interesting and good to you, in the very beginning of working with them, the other question that I'll commonly ask them is, who do you want to be when you grow up? And I often get like a raised eyebrow question at that. Um, but I ask people in their 80s who they want to be when they grow up. I've got I've got two clients in their 80s right now. And I ask them, who do you want to be when you grow up? Because I firmly believe that um, you're not done growing up until the game's done, right? So if you're in your 80s and 90s, you're still making choices that shape a future. And then when their ambivalence pops up, I ask them, because you can use this tool for interviewing your own past too. So it's the same deal as when a client comes in, they haven't really done their homework, um, or they're struggling in some other way to execute the plan that we made together. When that ambivalence shows up and they're frustrated, I'll ask, when you think about that person you want to be when you grow up, when you use that future lens and you look back at this situation, how would they want it handled? How would that better version of you that you're trying to grow into handle what's happening right now? Or how do you want to look back at your future self and feel about this? 
And so that same way that I'm saying, I, I can look back right now at how I handled it when I failed and say, Ooh, I wish I did X, Y, and Z. And if I ever am in that situation again, now I know that that's how I want to handle it. I can think about 103 year old dancing at wedding, Darlene, and look at this moment and think she's going to really wish that I had consistently strength trained because these hips ain't going to keep themselves healthy, right? You're listening to Better Than Fine Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Marshall. We're talking about working through ambivalence. And if after all of that, if you have interviewed your ambivalence, if you really understand the mixed feelings that you're having, what they mean to you, where they're coming from, you think about your future self, you identify your values, you set a future projection of who you want to be when you grow up and you turn back and look and you're still struggling, it's time to grit it out. I'm going to walk you through a process step by step. I want you to follow along, pause if you need time to write, nothing wrong with that, just pause, maybe bookmark this episode for future use if you need it. Um, but this is a classic motivational interviewing exercise. Motivational interviewing is a set of tools that help people to create positive, sustainable, lasting change in their life. And one of them is working through ambivalence. Um, it's called the decision grid in motivational interviewing. I like to call it ambivalence foursquare because... I don't know. I think it's cute or something. Um, so get a piece of paper, pause if you need to go get a piece of paper, get your journal handy, and we're going to grid this out together. All right. You ready? Here we go. At the top of your paper, write a clear, unambiguous statement about the behavior or the goal. So writing eat better is pretty vague. Uh, you got to get clear with yourself about what it actually means and write it at the top. So maybe it's get up at 5 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday to go for a run or um, prep cooking on Sundays. And if you've listened to the show long enough, you've heard me say I hate prep cooking, so I'd need to grid this one out. Um, but whatever it is, your sustainable positive behavior that you are struggling with. Write it as a clear, unambiguous statement at the top of your page. And then you're going to do, draw two lines. One is vertical down the center of the page. The other one's horizontal across the center of the page a long way. So that you have four boxes. I have four boxes. Step one, write it clearly at the top of the page. Step two, four boxes. Step three, we're going to label the four boxes. Are you ready? Top left box benefits of changing. Top right box benefits of not changing. Lower left box costs of changing. Lower right box costs of not changing. I'm going to run them down real fast again and then we're going to keep going. All right, ready? Top left benefits of changing. Top right benefits of not changing. Bottom left costs of not changing. Bottom right, ben, uh, costs, excuse me, I did that. Ah, no, I messed it up. Bottom left, costs of changing. Bottom right, costs of not changing. You got that? If you didn't get it, use the 15 second skip back thing and then you'll get it, I promise. Um, this will also be up on the Substack so that you have a visual reminder to walk you through. So anybody who wants the Substack, it's better than find.substack.com. You've got written instructions for all of this, promise. Okay, here we go. So now you've got your grid set up. Our fourth step, we're going to work our way through each of the boxes. And I'm going to give you a 
cue, just like I do with my clients. The only difference is with my clients, I sit there and wait and we talk it out and ask them questions. And with you, you're going to have to use that pause button. But take your time, fill out the question as it's asked. One of the bits of feedback I get about this exercise is, uh, it's repetitive. It's actually not repetitive if you look at the exercise in terms of um, the benefits of not changing and the costs of changing are not the same thing, right? It's a different cue. And if it's repetitive, that's still information. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay, here we go. Box number one. What are the advantages of making the change that you wrote at the top of the page? Uh, what are the advantages of making that change in your life? Okay, so that's box number one, your benefits of changing. What's the advantages of making this change? Pause it if you need to. Box number two. So this is your top right labeled benefits of not changing. What are the advantages of the status quo? What is the advantage of keeping things as they are right now? Pause it if you need to write out your advantages. What are the advantages of the current state that you're in? Right? Maybe it's if we use the get up early to work out example, it's, oh, I'm getting enough sleep those days. That's an advantage, right? As much as we might moralize the decision to get up early and rise and grind, that's not necessarily the perfect solution for everybody. Okay, moving on. Lower left corner, costs of changing. What are the disadvantages of changing? And I don't like it. I don't want to. <laughs> Maybe that's it. That's okay. That's a disadvantage. What are the disadvantages of changing? Pause if you need to. And then finally, in the box that says costs of not changing, what are the disadvantages of keeping things the way they are right now? So on the days I skip my workout, the disadvantages is my joints are going to hurt worse and I risk injury and destabilization, right? So it's a big disadvantage. And again, the point is, if there's repetition, that's actually giving you more clarity because it's telling you something about your situation. Now, if you really want to bust the indecision, let yourself feel all of that resistance and work through it. Ask yourself why it's like this. Take those four questions very, very seriously as they are intended so that you're really examining it because one, that's going to lower your distress and two, it's going to make you more effective at making the change. And I know I said this on last week's show but I really think it bears repeating as a coach, when I'm working with someone, my agenda for this is off the table. I'm not trying to convince them of anything in terms of their position. What I'm trying to do is help them get to the bottom of them and what's going to work for them. And there are lots of people in the fitness and wellness space, trainers, coaches that think that it is their job to trick people into being the version of themselves that shows up and does all this stuff, partly incentivized by if you keep training and coaching with somebody, they keep making more money, right? So if they trick you into doing it, you get results, right? Like that's part of the framing of the job, but real coaching is helping you figure out what's going to work for you. So I think, you know, I mentioned a moment ago, the potential moral judgment. Uh, people who exercise and they eat well are somehow are considered to be morally better than everybody else in our society. And I don't feel that way. I think that we all find our own path through and to this work. 
Uh, and for me, learning to care for myself was often a process of learning to know and to appreciate myself and to want to care for something that I love, which is not myself. And I do do these things even when I'm ambivalent, but it wasn't always that way. And I've had a lot of ambivalence over the years. So to me, the goal isn't to Jedi mind trick yourself. The goal is to really look at what do I actually value and want for myself? Does that align? Does this action align with those outcomes? And am I acting like the person I want to evolve into because how I behave is who I'm going to become? Uh, because you are changing your body and your mind. They are constantly adapting to the most consistent stimulus that you give them. So inaction is feeding an adaptation. Not working out for me is creating an adaptation I do not want. So keeping things the way they are is continuing to grow you in a certain direction. Changing grows you in another direction. So the goal of working through the ambivalence isn't forcing an outcome. It's looking at everything that's involved, including your feelings and thoughts, and coming to a course of action and a plan that actually represents who you are right now, where your potential can take you, and if you want to go there. To do more, to do all of that with more commitment, to do it with less stress, uh, because you took the time to actually learn from your feelings, which to me is huge. Uh, and really the whole point of processes like this. So that's ambivalence. Hopefully helpful. Again, you can find resources related to the episode and a walkthrough of all the exercise at our Substack. And I just want to wrap up by saying, you know, the next two shows of the year, uh, as we're wrapping out 2023, uh, will be from the archives pre-NASM. Uh, and so this moment is my last Better Than Fine podcast recording of 2023. And I just want to say... I'm getting a little emotional, um, how delighted and honored I am to continue to share better than fine with you at, you know, for a third year. Uh, and we're going into our fourth, uh, our better than fine's birthday is coming up pretty soon. And the show has just continued to grow beyond my wildest dreams. When I started it, um, I believe fully that we are still in the warm up laps of this project. And, um, whenever anyone reaches out and tells me how much the show has helped them, um, how much it has supported them, how they have made other people listen to it, you know, it makes, it makes my heart grow four sizes. Um, so I think the Grinch only grew three sizes. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what that says about me, but the show continues to grow because you listen to it, um, because you share it. And so first off, thank you to Eric, our producer. Uh, for continuing to work behind the scenes. I know he, he doesn't want to be an on-mic guy, so you've never heard his voice, but he he does support this show and, and five other shows on the NASM Podcasting Network. So thank, Eric, thank you so much for believing in the show, for believing in me, and for continuing to serve our listeners every week. Um, thank you all, our listeners, for the pleasure of getting to serve you. Um, thank you for letting this information and these tools positively affect you. Uh, and thank you for wanting to be better in yourself so that we can work uh, to make the world better together, which is what this project means to me. Um, of course, as always, I would love to hear your feedback. You can find me on Instagram at starlene.coach. My website is darlene.coach. My email uh, is, my Instagram is darlene.coach. My, in, my email is info at darlene.coach. Uh, the substack is betterthanfine.substack.com. I hope that you have already subscribed as a fan of the show. Like, share, 
comment, tag us. I, I would love to hear anything that you would like to share or would like to hear and learn about in 2024. I've got some fun ideas coming, so I hope that you like those too. Happiest whatever you celebrate to you. I hope that the new year brings you wellness and health and happiness. Uh, thank you. Be well. And uh, you'll hear me in 2024.